It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element This is Moment of Truth on Element FM. Ani, Bojo, Sego, Tansi. I'm Matthew Bisson, in for David Moses, and I am thrilled to be joined by Her Excellency, the Governor General of Canada, Mary Simon. Welcome to Moment of Truth, Mary. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. It's been about six months now since you were sworn in as Canada's first Indigenous Governor General. How are you settling into the role? It's been uh, a very interesting time for me. Uh, I think that uh, this kind of appointment uh, does uh, change one's lifestyle quite a bit. And uh, in addition to that, I haven't been able to get home for a couple of years because of the pandemic. So it's been it's been very interesting and I've adjusted pretty well and starting to we were very busy for the last six months. Different events have taken place and uh, it has been a busy time for us. And now, uh, you know, we're dealing with other issues that are before us today. And uh, I think that uh, in, in the longer term, I see myself um, being settled here and um, making it my home for the next several years and to to really get down to to work on uh, reconciliation and other priorities that I have in terms of the work that I'm going to be doing. Excellent. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about some of your priorities as well and, you know, things related to reconciliation for sure. But coming into the role, did you feel any added pressure considering some of the recent challenges within Rideau Hall? Uh, no, not necessarily. I, I knew that uh, that this would be a, a challenging uh, role to play in, in Canada. And uh, because I had been in other positions in, in the diplomatic community, I had a, a pretty good idea of what, what the challenges might be in terms of um, settling into, into Rideau Hall. Um, but otherwise, I, I've just really taken it uh, like I always do, uh, day by day, and uh, looking at what our priorities are and, uh, and the commitment I've made when I was appointed to this position through my installation speech. So it has been um, a busy period, but nevertheless, I, I knew that this was a role that will keep me busy and uh, you know a lot of people f- think sometimes it's just a symbolic position but it, it really isn't it, there's a lot of different uh, details that need to be addressed and being the head of um, not just Rideau Hall as the Queen's representative but being the head of the military the armed forces you know the armed forces um, and uh, the police uh, it's been you know a lot of a lot of briefings a lot of uh, events that we've been able to hold even though the pandemic has been very much affecting our ability to be out there and connecting with people we've been able to do quite a bit from here as well that's great. Now, you mentioned earlier reconciliation being a priority for you. What do you think your appointment says about the advancement in Crown Indigenous relations? I think that, uh, you know, we still consider uh, Indigenous people in Canada as having a very um, important relationship with the Crown. In fact, uh, it's a, this 
for the past few years, there has been work at the national level to develop a new relationship with the Crown and, and all the national Indigenous organizations have, have been part of that process. So there's still a very strong connection between um, the Crown and Indigenous people. And uh, I think that the work that I'm going to be doing uh, will, will enhance that relationship and it's also about Canadians. Um, you know, I am an Indigenous person and I, and I feel very strongly about uh, not just my identity, but also the work I've done over the past 40 years in relation to Indigenous people. But I'm also uh, the Governor General for all Canadians. And I think these are important things we need to remember. And as, you know, like... One of the things that, that I've talked about quite a bit is that our fabric, the, the, the fabric of Canada is really made up of very different stories. And as a governor general, I want to make sure that our national stories are, are composed of both individual and collective stories. I think that um, reconciliation is part of, uh, or the work that would be done within that area together would is part of the reconciliation process and you know we we have to tell the successes of our aboriginal people or indigenous people i should say and also there's lots of focus on the, the failures of indigenous people but there are many successes and um, this is our true history and we need to represent that true history in not just in the education of the, of children but also in educating each other as Canadians, and this will help to 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 address the issue of reconciliation. Um, you know, I think reconciliation is is a way of life. It's it doesn't end. Um, a lot of times, I've heard reconciliation being a project, but it's it's not. It's it's a way of life. It's continuous with no end. It is learning from our lived experiences and, uh, and understanding one another. It's also creating the necessary space for us to heal as Canadians. Um, it is also really planting the seeds of hope and respect so that our garden blooms for our children. Um, and these are just part of the things that, I, that, uh, that we are working on right now. I think you raise an excellent point there in terms of, you know, the balance of making sure we're also celebrating great Indigenous stories, in addition to looking at some of the injustices and the harms that are being done as well. That's certainly what we're trying to achieve here on Element FM by supporting Indigenous artists and stories and whatnot. Can you think of any other specific steps that you would like to see the government take in response to reconciliation? What are some other priorities for you that you think need to be addressed to improve the situation for Indigenous people in Canada? The... Um, the relationship and the understanding and addressing the the challenges that are faced by indigenous Canadian indigenous peoples in Canada is very much uh, something that that needs to continue. And you know, mental health is an, is another aspect of of dealing with reconciliation. And and I know that 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 the pandemic has has created. Uh, you know, all across the country, a mental health crisis. Uh, 
which is really happening in, in, all, in all different communities in, in the country. But at the same time, I have to remember that mental health and mental health issues have, have dominated sometimes the media because it's actually very serious in our, in our communities and, and we need to address that as well. It hasn't been addressed in a, in a, in, in a concrete way at this point, but so we need to continue, um, you know, the, the fact that services are, 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 need, are needed, uh, more services are needed. Uh, there's there's an ex, not just an expectation, but a real need to address uh, mental health. And there's no, um, I think as indigenous people, mental health and physical health are seen as going hand in hand because we do take a holistic approach and um, there's really no reason why we can't have good services for mental health as we have for physical health, even though physical health services across the country are not always adequate. Um, they, are, they are much better than uh, services related to the well-being, uh, mental health of, of people across the country, especially in indigenous communities. So that's another part of uh, the, the work that needs to be done. Certainly, I, I was hoping to ask you about, you know, mental health issues. We obviously marked uh, Bell Let's Talk Day last week, which, you know, aims to remove the stigma around conversations related to mental well-being. Do you, have you noticed a change? Do you believe things are shifting and that, you know, those conversations can be more open and we can, you know, really address some of these issues specifically to Indigenous people, but certainly across the country and really promote the supports and I guess focus more time and energy and resources on mental health supports? Well, there is more openness. There is uh, definitely uh, more discussion about uh, mental, mental, issue, mental health issues. Um, and anything that happens like Bell Let's Talk does... It, you know, that does open the door for the discussions that are needed. The stigmatization of mental health has really uh, affected individuals that are not willing to talk about the state of mental illness there or depression or whatever it is that individuals are having. Uh, and, you know, mental health has many, many uh, faces, so to speak. Depression is just one of those, and people often don't like to talk about or get help. So it's really important that that dialogue um, allows people to realize that that mental health is is not a shameful thing. Uh, if you have uh, mental health issues, it's not a shameful thing to be able to go to your support family, friends, or um, doctor, or whoever it is in the community that you feel comfortable with, and to talk to them about what you're experiencing. And that opens the door for anybody to be able to perhaps get the support that they need. It, it doesn't happen that way all the time, but uh, it is a part of the process of trying to trying to be more open about um, issues affecting people. You know, we have been able to talk about this issue very widely across the country, but you, when you break it down to what's happening at the community level, 
uh, it it really shows that that the service itself is still um, needs to be improved, even if there is some service in some communities. In other places, in small remote communities, the the mental health side of of our health it doesn't really allow for um, this kind of process to take place. So uh, people will will you know continue to s- stay there because they're not they don't know or they're not able to get that help. I was just going to ask about remote Indigenous communities and, you know, certainly some of the challenges there from food insecurity and, you know, other mental health crises. How can we sort of bridge that gap, do you think, and, you know, make sure that we're offering the same level of support to those in the remote communities as we are to areas that are more accessible? I think, um, you know, there, there needs to be a bridge between the discussion in Canada and, and recognizing that this is an area that requires further further investment in terms of uh, not just resource mon- money for resourcing, but also to provide uh, better uh, services for remote communities. Uh, because I, I know that um, when you're in a, a depression state, if you don't get help, it's hard to, to recover and having better services that will allow for even doctor intervention if necessary or to be able to um, get uh, psychological uh, support. It's not just being able to get your your own community to support you through counseling. That is an integral part of it. But sometimes it's it's something that requires additional additional uh, support in, in terms of the medical side. So I think if we look at it from the fact that there is that additional uh, need, then somewhere along the line, members of parliament have to understand this and address it in, in, in government uh, processes. Uh, but I'm, I'm not involved in that part of the work because of my position being apolitical, uh, but I can advocate for better services and, and to address, uh, to address uh, issues that are related to mental health, because it is part of reconciliation. We have to have space to heal as a country, and we have to have space to heal uh, as, as communities. You're listening to Moment of Truth here on Element FM. We're speaking with Her Excellency Governor General Mary Simon. We are also, of course, navigating the COVID-19 pandemic right now. What are your thoughts on the response so far? And what more can we do to do things like increase vaccination rates in Indigenous communities? I think people have to, you know, make choices. But at the same time, we need to realize that the, the one of the ways of, of getting over the pandemic and and going back to uh, a more normal lifestyle, maybe we won't go, go back to the same type of lifestyle that we've had it. And especially in indigenous communities, we want we want to be able to have uh, move forward on on our life uh, in terms of better better services and better opportunities as people in this country. Um, so. It's a difficult question. Campaigning for people to get vaccinated is important, but at the same time, 
I think um, there, there is some mandatory issues that are being addressed today. When you think back on some of the vaccinations that we've had to have as children, um, you know, parents weren't given much of a choice because those were um, illnesses that could be prevalent in, in our societies and would eventually affect all, all Canadians. So there are, you know, like the options are, are more than just what one option, but the, the bottom line is that we, I think vaccinations is the way to go. I don't know whether it's, it should, you know, I, I wouldn't be in a position to say whether it should be mandatory or not, but I think that the options that are being put out are, are, are trying to, are trying to um, really address the, the, the issue that if we want to get through this pandemic, that medical people and scientists have, have said that the way to do this is to have vaccinations. So I encourage anybody that I speak to that it's important to be vaccinated. But there again, it's, it's still an individual decision that, that is made. Certainly. How do you feel the pandemic has maybe, you know, exposed or brought to light some of the gaps in Canada's healthcare system? And what more do you think can be done there? As I was talking about the mental health side, I think that's the area that really needs to be looked at more very carefully. The, you know, the increased demand for, for, for mental health services has, has really aggravated an, an already stressed system. And uh, even though, you know, there has been announcements that um, more funding is going to be made available for mental health and addiction strategy uh, in an effort to reduce, um, especially wait times, and to also eliminate the barriers, uh, there needs to be better coordination and improvement to the quality of care. Um, also in the school system, you know, there is a need to have mental health workers uh, working with children uh, in the schools that are having uh, difficulty, not just because of the pandemic, but because of other either mental health or physical health issues. And I know that in Indigenous communities that, and across the country as well, these, that, that that particular area hasn't been well looked after, and uh, I think it's a very necessary part of uh, our, our part of uh, having a a um, a better service for youth. Like the lockdown has uh, has really isolated ki uh, children, like um, from their peers, and a lot of time is spent on uh, online uh, learning and 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 continuing to try to get through the education. But it's not, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, and, and it has uh, deteriorated a lot of uh, mental health in, in, in many children and teenagers. Uh, and there, you know, I've heard lots of concerns about the impact of the last two years, how that will have an impact on our children and youth. And... Um, there are, in, in fact, some universities that have increased their mental health support for students, but that 
is something that is happening in 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 other parts of Canada, but not so much, I don't think, in Indigenous communities. Certainly. You mentioned a holistic approach to health that Indigenous people take. I'm also curious about your thoughts on certainly another big issue that we are facing right now, and that is the, the growing climate crisis. Do you think and how could we go about perhaps implementing Indigenous-led solutions and traditional approaches to the natural world to help address the climate crisis? Yes, we've been saying that for some time now. I, I can remember back uh, many, many years ago when I when we first started talking about climate change and how it was affecting the Arctic. Um, it was not something that was understood very well in terms of how it was affecting the human race and how that would impact on Indigenous people. Um, I think when you look at the practices of our people, Inuit people in the North, you have to understand that for centuries, uh, people have lived uh, and, uh, and have not, not caused any, any damage to, to our environment. And the philosophy that we've had is that you only take what you need uh, and you leave the rest for another time. Uh, and that's the philosophy that we have for our everyday life in the North. And, you know, to a large extent, we still practice that, but we are being impacted by climate change that is not being caused by, by us. It's an international issue. And I think the practices that we have as Indigenous people need to be looked at more carefully uh, because we know the balance of nature and, and, and the environment. How, how well you look after your own community and how well you look after your in, own environment has an impact on, on climate uh, overall. And therefore, lots of discussion has happened in, in the climate change talks and Indigenous people continue to try to, to have an impact on, on uh, the changes that are being proposed. And Indigenous knowledge is an important part of that. Indigenous knowledge is based on, um, for us anyway, for Inuit, is based on the traditional knowledge of our people. And um, we are practicing it through uh, different organizations, different means. And as a result of that, we are able to, to let the world community know that this is what's happening in the Arctic on the ground and it is having an impact on everyday life in our communities. And, you know, sometimes mitigation is no longer the important part of trying to address climate change. It's really about adaptation. Uh, there comes a point in terms of what's happening that people have to start adapting because they, have, they don't have the control of how, how this is going to play out. Uh, so I think, you know, adaptation may be something that people don't like to look at uh, too much, but rather medication and how you can make changes. But we also need to look at that now because the federal government has announced that it will have a national strategy on, a, on adaptation. We're speaking with Governor General Mary Simon. We're almost at a time. We've only got about two minutes left, but I wanted to just quickly sneak in two more questions. Number one being, um, are there any other priorities that you have in this position that we haven't touched upon yet? So, yeah, I think um, 
the overarching issue is reconciliation. It's, it's work that needs to be done, but it has many different issues underneath it. And some of those issues are related to the ones that I've talked about. Also, it relates to education. How do we change the way history is told to our children in our schools? Not just in Indigenous communities, but in the, in the larger Canadian context. Uh, indig- the history books of Canada don't reflect the real truth of what happened in Canada uh, in terms of like colonization and, and residential schools, as an example. Uh, and that true history has to be reflected. So history and education are, are very important aspects of how we evolve in our education system. Um, and education is also and a very important part of our own uh, teachings. And we have to have more control over our education systems in, in, in our communities. And um, I also have um, youth as a, as a priority area. Uh, youth need to be involved in, in, in all issues that are being discussed. They shouldn't be just... Um, put to the side and have what we call youth organizations that really aren't being integrated into the process of the major discussions that are happening. So uh, it's really important for youth to be active in all the discussions that we have. And I I plan to integrate that into all the work that I do. Um, There's also, as a Canadian Governor General, I have to look at the diversity of the country uh, so diversity and inclusion is part of my um, um, agenda, and that'll be developed in the coming months. And right now we are working very hard on getting things going on reconciliation. Excellent. So we've only got one minute left. So one last question for you. In your first few months in the role, you've referenced the Inuktitut word, Ayunata. What does this word mean to you and how does it apply to your work as Governor General? Yeah, it's a very important uh, word. Uh, it's, it's actually um, something that reflects um, our uh, traditional way of looking at things. And uh, it's an inuktitut word. Um, it, it, you know, if I, would, if I literally translate it into English, it means uh, commitment, um, a promise. It's also you know, that we will never give up. So it's a concept that is very inclusive of the idea that uh, we, no matter what happens, uh, we will continue to move forward. And that's been something that our elders, I used to remember my grandmother saying it a lot. And uh, because we lived in, my my mother and my grandmother were unilingual Inuit, so we spoke Inuktitut at home all the time and my father was white but he also spoke very good Inuktitut and that was one of the things that uh, listening to the elders talking as I was growing up it it was a word that uh, when there was some very serious discussions going on uh, people would would just say and and that it's a very meaningful meaningful word All right. Well, Governor General Mary Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and certainly best of luck in your time in this role. And hopefully we get to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you so much for asking me.